The future of healthcare is exciting with many new therapies finding incredible success. The Heroic Dose brought to you by Microdose is a one-day virtual conference that will explore the use of psychedelic therapies in military veterans and first responders in an effort to combat the alarming rates of PTSD, substance abuse, and suicide in this coveted yet undeserved demographic. Topics discussed include the therapeutic potential of psychedelics over opioids for pain management, reducing the graduation of acute pain to chronic pain, and preventing suicide in the long run. The Heroic Dose will cover the intersection of clinical care, research, and investment arenas. Now, while this is an all-day event on April 22nd, yours truly will be moderating a panel at 10 a.m. Eastern Time. The panel's focus the altered state of combat veteran trauma and the quest for novel therapeutics in psychedelic substances history and overview of current treatments. And the panel will feature four veterans who have used psychedelic therapies to combat PTSD, trauma, opioid addiction, and I would love to show them some support from the phenomenal Brian Nichols Show audience. So please follow the link to the show notes to the Microdose website and sign up for this incredible virtual conference. And if you are a veteran, a 100% discount will be applied at checkout. Again, that's the Heroic Dose brought to you by Microdose. Link in the show notes. And now, on to the show. Can I pause for a second and, and just note that uh, we got Brian on here who is getting uh, Congressman Massey on, and our typical lineup includes like homeless people that believe in Bigfoot. <laughs> Welcome to the Brian Nichols Show, your source for common sense politics on the We Are Libertarians Network. The Brian Nichols Show is the fastest growing liberty podcast that brings together people from all means of political thought as we seek to have meaningful conversations about the issues you care about. At The Brian Nichols Show, our goal is to leave the audience educated, enlightened, and informed. And now your host, Brian Nichols. Happy Easter! Yes, we are still dropping an episode today of The Brian Nichols Show, but first I want to start off by saying Happy Easter, you folks out there. Thank you for joining us here on another amazing episode of The Brian Nichols Show. And today we are continuing with our candidate series, and that is... Focusing on one Joe Evans for Congress. Now, Joe is running for Congress out in Idaho, and it was a great opportunity not only to have Joe on the program, but to learn more specifically about some issues that are uh, pertinent to Idaho. But also, I think you're going to hear uh, do reflect some issues that we see impacting all of us across the United States. So with that being said, a fantastic conversation. Happy Easter once again. But with that being said, on to the show, Joe Evans here on The Brian Nichols Show. How are you doing today, Brian? Doing well, Joe Evans. Thank you so much. Welcome to the Brian Nichols Show. And uh, yes, as I mentioned here in the the soft intro, you're part of our brand new candidate series. So thank you for joining us on that. And uh, so far, we've had some great conversations with some phenomenal candidates. Uh, we've had, uh, let's see, we had Joel Getz running for mayor of East Stroudsburg. We've had Martha Bueno, um, who's running for city council. I think that's technically the term um, down in Miami-Dade. And now, Joe, you're running for Congress out in Idaho. So let's kind of start right. off, right? Let's introduce yourself to the Brian Nichols Show audience. What got you into so politics? That's a big change. So here you are introducing, you know, and all this, it's city council, it's mayor, it's county, you know, and it's like, boom, U.S. Congress. It's like, wait, where where the U.S. Congress guy come from? No, but the guys, <laughs> the folks you were talking about that are running local, absolutely uh, top form. That's where the Libertarian Party really needs to dig in and, you know, set their teeth in as far as the grassroots is show that they're actually capable of running cities under a libertarian philosophy. But where I'm going right now, of course, like you mentioned, it's U.S. Congress. Uh, this would be my second shot at it. And I haven't actually formally announced for the 2022 candidacy, or, uh, candidacy yet, but we're definitely looking at it. Been working with our chair here, uh, Jenny Imhoff, uh, the new LP chair for Idaho. 
been doing gangbuster shit, leading, you know, from the front, getting out there. And she was actually extremely valuable to how successful my campaign was, you know, in 2020. You know, being able to get recognition, being able to get in to the debates. You know, we actually had, what, three, four debates where I was actually invited in to talk the issues against both our Democrat and Republican candidate. So, you know, but one of the things you were talking about, value at, you know, things that come up in the state, you know, and the things you learn about it is you get more and more into the politics and you understand why certain things happen. So one of the things I was doing this morning at nine o'clock was I was sitting in committee, you know, not my committee because I'm not actually holding an office, but our state legislature has decided to run a constitutional amendment. Okay. Now in Idaho, that's not a big thing because we had 135 constitutional amendments to the Idaho state constitution. So it's like, you know, we've been averaging about one a year, whatever, no big deal. However, this one, what he decided he wants to do is he wants to make it illegal. Uh, well, okay, that's not quite the right word. But what he wants to do is make it unconstitutional for anybody but the state legislature to authorize the legalization of marijuana or other psychoactive drugs in the state. And now, Idaho is a ballot initiative state. Okay, it's largely, you know, we got like 29 states in the uh, union that have it or that are able to do it. And Idaho happens to be one of them. And of course, our state legislature doesn't like being called to task when they fail to do something. So they continue to try and make the citizen's voice harder and harder to hear. Now, the big one is uh, he doesn't like marijuana. So he's been trying to get in the way of that for going on, well, close to about, what, six years now? <laughs> you know, changing our resolutions, changing the way the ballot initiatives work. Now he's trying to get constitutional amendments so the ballot initiatives can't undo, you know, the legislation he wants to work. So at nine o'clock, I was standing in front of the committee saying, yep, yeah, you guys are full of it. Uh, here before too much longer, I'm actually going to have to dig into the record. So um, Idaho Public Television does Congress on record or our legislature on record, and they store all of the committee hearings. So here tomorrow, I will actually be able to download a copy of my testimony in front of committee, all two minutes of it. <laughs> I'll be able to publish it. But yeah, so that's part of the thing is chasing down those issues like that and realizing that without actually sitting up there on the dais, doing the politicking, working with the people that are making the decisions, working with the people who are making the votes, you know, your ability to walk in and actually make change is extremely limited because it's all political show. You know, they've already gathered all of the votes they need to make it pass or fail you know, depending on whether or not they want to make a big issue about it for the sound bites. You know, because we've all seen congressmen put something in that they know it's going to fail, but it's it's there for the sound bites. You know, they let it onto the floor so that they can be seen fighting it and denouncing it. But 
we all know the votes are already in for it to win or lose. And the only thing they're doing is putting it out on the floor so everybody gets their sound bites. So true. It's so true. And, you know, I was actually just talking about this with uh, Jack Hunter. Um, you see politics. It's it's wrestling. Uh, Jack's a big wrestling fan. That's all it is. It's, um, it, you know, it's it's Mayor Glenn Jacobs as Kane. And he's just doing a suplex, uh, you know, on Stone Cold Steve Austin. And then afterwards, they, they go out and they enjoy a beer and they shake hands and they're buddies because it is a show. And yes, that's it is very I, much so. yeah, and I think people are starting to wake up to that, uh, Joe. And I, that's where I think maybe we have a chance right now as not just the alternative, but truly uh, not just the, the other guys. Right. And I think this is one thing we, we've gotten to focused on saying there's another choice be, look at us we're you know we need to be the other choice and just because you have more choices doesn't just instantly mean well that's a good thing so let's kind of focus on the value that we're bringing to the table because i know we can talk all day long about how right we are um but let's actually talk about um how we can bring this to the real people and let's focus specifically uh in your your candidacy in idaho so what's some of the, the top things that you're noticing in your respective area. And let's focus maybe not just in your congressional district, but maybe let's, because uh, Idaho, respectively, is a smaller state that a lot of people probably don't know much about. Well, s- smaller in population, yeah, because we got about 1.2 million people who live in the state, you know, which about half of them are registered voters, you know, a little less, somewhere, you know. Um, and we're taking a look at the issues that concern them as well as the way that it, the laws are affected and the way they practiced here in the state, you know. So like one of the things, marijuana in the state, okay, it's, it's been illegal for 97 years now. Yeah. That's yeah. Nice. I, wow. Right. You know, it's been illegal for 97 years, you know, yet we have uh, roughly 20% of the state's population that are cannabis users in some capacity or another, you know, it's illegal. They should belong in prison, you know, 20%. when you got two. Yeah. Well, the, the other thing is, is hemp is illegal in the state. Right. As well as hemp products. Yet they've effectively decriminalized CBD oil because we got CBD oil sales going all over the place. You know, we got like 10 shops here in, you know, Boise, where I live, you know, and they're just popping up. Well, they keep popping up, but they're illegal. But there's so many of them popping up that basically commerce has said, okay, just, just let it go. You know. And it's effectively decriminalized. But the same thing actually exists across the state. Because like I said, we got 200,000 medic- marijuana users here in the state. Uh, last year, here in the Treasure Valley where I live, it's about 800,000 people who live here in the greater Boise metro area. Um, we spent $100 million buying marijuana products just across the border last year. $100 million. That's significant. (laughs) Right. You know, and every dollar of that hundred million represents a federal felony because it's interstate trafficking of a controlled substance. Okay. We don't have enough prison cells in the state of Idaho for to hold, you know, 200,000 people for federal trafficking violations. We don't. You know, marijuana is effectively decriminalized in the state of Idaho. The problem is, is it is selectively enforced. Okay. They aren't arresting all 200,000 of them. They're just arresting the ones they want to arrest. Okay. Now, now where's the justice in that? Where's the fairness? 
where is the equal liberty for all? You know, when you got the police selectively enforcing, you know, now we got 80% support for medical marijuana in the state. So the ballot initiative that we're working on is going to pass. You know, we're not concerned about that too much. But the thing is, is we don't have any protection for the ballot initiative once it does pass. Our legislatures could turn around and go right back in and say, yeah, nice try. It's illegal again. So let me ask you this, Joe. How how then, because I know you run for Congress, but it is curious when you look at the state perspective. If you, right. there's, there's such, uh, it seems to be a resounding support in some respects. Right. How, how do the politicians justify basically going against the will of the people? If it's a direct referendum vote, in this case, or a ballot initiative, and then you have politicians who will just completely renege on it. I don't understand how they are able to be so confident they can maintain their, their seats. Uh, it's because Idaho is a very libertarian state. Okay. Now, one of the things you look at it is it's a libertarian. St- well, how can it be a libertarian state when you got such authoritarian politicians, you know, writing laws and writing rules and all of the rest of this stuff? Okay. Well, the thing you got to realize is most of these politicians are rural politicians. Okay. They ran in rural areas. These rural areas are largely farmers, largely subsistence hunters. And 90% of them don't care what laws get written in the state capital because they're not going to be enforced in the rural areas. So literally, you got these little narcissistic politicians from rural areas that decide they want to go to Boise for three months a year and write rules to tell the city how to live. Okay, now that happens to work in Boise because Boise, the greater metro area, like I said, 800,000 people, you know, the police in that greater metro area actually care about the marijuana laws. Okay, the sheriffs in the other 40 counties in the state, whatever. (laughs) I'm not arresting the neighbor's kid because he's got a pot leaf. Right. Uh, You know, what's the point? You know, we got a biker gang running meth. Why would I care about pot? You know, yet they want to make sure that the city doesn't have access to it. Wow. Well, yeah. So it's, so, it's, it's well, becoming very obvious. I mean, well, I don't mean to interrupt you, but it, it's becoming more and more transparent, I think. And, and I, I actually wanted to maybe use this as a segue into, which I know I was looking at your website earlier, one of the top things you mentioned was prison reform. Um, oh, yeah. But this does have a direct correlation into what we see right now with a complete perversion of the criminal justice system. I mean, it's 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 completely backwards. And yet you see there is a demand in the market for people to be able to use cannabis. And yet the politicians still are backwards in terms of how they're allowing this to take place. So, I mean, I I think it does kind of speak to that the system itself is, is inherently, uh, you know, flawed, just the the very way that the, the voting incentive structures are placed. But let's look also towards what you've identified, and, and I, I teased it, but the, the justice system and, and prison reform right. in general, this goes hand in hand. We see a lot of nonviolent offenders who, and not just in, in Idaho, but across the United States who are, are oh, yeah, in jails absolutely. for smoking a plant. It's, it's, it's insane. So what would you say beyond just ending the war on drugs, which I'm assuming is going to be you know step one, but other ways to actually focus on uh, helping reform the, uh, the criminal justice system? Well, like you mentioned, the first one, of course, is eliminate the victimless crimes in our legislative code. Okay, there's if 
somebody didn't actually do anything violent in the process of committing their crime, you know, why are we sending them to prison for felony causes? Why are we sending them up for three strike laws? You know, this is your third misdemeanor for smoking pot. You're going to go to prison for 10 years now. You know what? Get rid of that stuff. Because that's really not what the problem is. Right. Now, okay, so let's go back and do a little bit of history here. Because one of the issues, like I was talking about, Idaho being a very libertarian state. And that the people in Idaho are very libertarian. Okay. Most of the common sense individuals aren't interested in running for office because they don't want to control the lives of other people. Which is why you end up with narcissistic authoritarians sitting in the seats, you know, making random judgments that nobody cares about except for the places where they're heavily policed, which is our urban areas. Yeah. But so we don't have people sitting in those offices that believe in freedom of choice, that believe. So one of the things I was talking about, the Idaho State Constitution there's two interesting things that keep coming up in respect to prison reform, drug laws, and so on. Now, the first is our Section 1 of Article 1, which is the version of our Declaration of Independence that says, as Idahoans, we have a right to life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, and to protect our property. Okay, that, that's line one. First priority of our legislators protect the individual's right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. <laughs> right? I, I, I don't know where they got that idea, but, you know, they, they came up with it at some point. Yeah, very familiar. <laughs> now, the other one that they keep liking to bring up happens to be the Republican platform from 1890. Yeah, you, well, you, you hit think, me with it. I'm curious. What was going on in 1890? What was the Republican platform in 1890? Uh, the Republican platform in 1890 was the temperance platform. Hmm. Right? Remember that? The, the thing that eventually led to prohibition that lasted all of 13 years before the federal government realized it was a dead end? Yeah. So the temperance. So we actually have a clause in our state constitution that calls for the Governance regulating the temperance of the communities. You know, if you pay attention to the Bible and the rest of that, temperance is, you know, regulated use, moderate use. You know, you're not going out and getting drunk and killing people. At least you're not supposed to, because that would be an intemperate use of your alcohol. Um, you know, but the thing is, is our legislators have decided to take that as they're responsible for prohibition. You know, not regulated temperate use where we make sure that people don't commit crimes while they're high. But you can't use it at all. Okay, so that, that's the way they've decided to interpret it. And, you know, like I said, we managed to maintain prohibition of marijuana in the state of Idaho for 97 years now. Okay. Not very well, mind you, because we still have, you know, 20% of the state that uses. Um, but that's the thing is we got authoritarians and when a lot of the state just doesn't want to sit in those seats. Unfortunately, a lot of, well, fortunately, fortunately, a lot of people are realizing, you know what, 
we actually have to run for office in self-defense. Okay. We don't want to rule ruin anybody's life. We don't want to make the rules. But the thing is, is we can't keep letting these assholes make the rules. Because we've been watching them make the rules for the last 40 years. And it's finally reached a point like, uh, dude, you're starting to infringe on my way of life. Uh, you know. So we're seeing more and more people stepping up and going, you know what? Okay, got it. Uh, if I want to live the kind of life I want to lead, I got to run for office so that these people don't make it illegal for me to do the things I love to do. Yeah. And, and we're getting there. We're moving there, you know, slowly but surely. And we're seeing people step up, you know, people like myself, because Lord knows there's a million other things I'd rather be doing than sitting in a suit and tie in an office talking about policy, you know, with a bunch of narcissistic nerds, you know. You don't like doing that? <laughs> No, no, no. I, I would rather be sitting on my laptop playing, you know, games with international geeks, uh, you know, doing a little wow raid or, you know, something else like so many better things to do with my life. You know, even head out to the garden and actually grow something real. Uh, you know, there's other things I would like to be doing. But unfortunately, right now I'm involved in politics because... All across the nation, we got a bunch of politicians that are trying to tell us how to run our lives, how to run our economy, how to take care of our families. The fact that we have to have a family in some cases, you know, and a lot of us are just reaching a point where it's like, dude, come on. Yeah, no, no, no. Stop. Stop. You know, the question is, is are we actually going to be able to get into office and reverse a lot of those policies of the last 20 to 40 years that have continued to create this situation of hyper-authoritarianism in our federal government and roll it back before we actually end up in a shooting match over this issue. Yeah, I mean, people yeah. are seeing the, the – they've seen the, the pendulum – and it swings back and forth. We see it happen every election cycle. Now, yeah. and now we're not foolish enough to say that the the political world is is this left right paradigm that the corporate media has painted it to be. We 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 know it's it's much more complex and nuanced than that. But you do see this this swing back and forth. And I think your average person is becoming more aware that that swinging of back and forth of power. And that's what it ends up being is power yeah. is becoming dangerous because now it's not a matter of, okay, well, what can they do? But rather, who's doing it? And that's where the oh, concern yeah. is is actually the main concern. It, it So this is where I think a lot of libertarians miss the mark. We talk too often about all the things that government shouldn't be doing. We try, we toss out facts and figures and charts and graphs, and we try to book people to death by hitting them with, with Hazlitt. And then your average person's like, okay, but I need to feed my family. So like, I need a minimum, minimum wage of $15. Like, I don't know what you need to understand about that. And we're like, but numbers and math and economics. And they're like, I don't get it. So I think instead, it's more important to, instead of just focusing on the things that government doesn't do well, Start to focusing on those solutions, right? And and I'm right. I'm curious how as as we're moving forward, can we reach those people who are starting to resoundingly say, "I'm not 
an ism. I'm more of just a rational kind of human being seeing that there's a problem out there. And again, there is a demand for, I think, kind of the adult in the room. So how can we position ourselves as not just, and I, I guess this is a nice way to kind of, as we're, we're focusing it towards the end of the show, when we're not just the third party, right? We're, we're not just the alternative, but now something that people can vote for. Um, what do you see as things that people can vote for, not just the libertarian feel good, I'm voting on principle, I'm voting for my conscience, but actually things that we can deliver with uh, libertarians in office? And this is where we started getting into the problems. Reason one is because we've got the pragmatic caucus for a reason. Okay. We have the pragmatic libertarians who are looking at it. Okay. Yeah. I, I got the goal. I got the dream. I got the vision, you know, but it's 20, 30 years down the road. How do we get there? Okay. And we got all of our principled libertarians and anarchists out there going, collapse it all now, collapse it all now. Well, the thing is, is if we collapse it all now, what we end up with is 300 million feral Americans. Okay. Do you really want 300 feral Americans or do you want to create a more gentle process of the rewilding of America? Okay. Do you want to introduce them back into the wilderness, introduce them back into the freedom, you know, teach them how to survive in the wilderness, or do you just want to dump them off the back of the pickup truck and say, Hey, see you later guys. You know, and, and that's it. How do we create a situation where those 300 million Americans aren't looking at it going, um, dude, I, I, I don't know how to fend for myself. You know, now we, we look at the cities, we look at the difference between the urban areas and the rural areas. You know, your rural Americans, they all grew up on farms. They're all subsistence hunters. You know, they can survive. You know, whatever. that's where most of our libertarians actually come from. Okay, because they are self-sustaining. They don't need the rest of the world in order to survive. Our urban areas, which is where everybody starts freaking out over, is where we start running into the issue. Because a lot of those people, they're very skilled, but it's an industrial base. You know, if there's not a mechanism to trade those skills, they don't have an ability to survive the collapse of the federal government. Because... You know, we saw it earlier this year or last oh, year. Say, you know, COVID it it did that not as a COVID put a gigantic spotlight on a very real, I think, issue that we haven't addressed yeah. yet. I mean, I live in Philly, right? And I saw like if, if could you imagine if if like we actually got to like collapsitarian mindset? Like, no, my goodness, that would just be terrible. And people don't realize, I think, sometimes that when we do talk about like the collapsitarian mentality that like your average person hears that and they're like, no, I don't want that to happen to my family. Like, I'm sorry. No. And then they're going to be like, right. I don't want to talk to you anymore. You're crazy. <laughs> you know? So the thing is, is how to create a solution where you create that open source Liberty that allows the mutual support between the rural and urban communities. So that when the federal government collapses and it's inevitable, you know, we know it's inevitable. We're, we're watching. We are post-collapse right now. I mean, literally, we are watching the federal government implode upon itself. You know, and the states are stepping up and some of them are taking responsibility for within their state and going, you know what? We got it. The Fed's going away. You know, how, how do we build resiliency within our state? 
Okay, and some states are doing it, and other states aren't. And some states, you know, are still thinking, "Oh man, it's the end of days." You know, Jesus is going to come down, and I'm going to be, you know, whatever it is that happens to the chosen ones. You know, uh, being taken up to heaven while everybody else is left to burn on her. It's no, 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 dude, no. There's going to be people living here. You know, post collapse. You know, the end of the world isn't going to be the kind of end of the world that you're dreaming of because there's reality that's going on. You know, you have children. Your children have children. You want to have them? Oh, no, man. Jesus is coming down and taking me and my kids up there. Okay, dude. <laughs> yeah, but we actually got that mentality running around. You know, and not. It's real bad here in Idaho, but it's not just here in Idaho. You know, we see it in all across the nation. We see it in Arizona. You know, Western states got it bad. You know, Arizona, you know, Buffalo head dude. Uh, you know, but the thing is, from a pragmatic solution, how do we go about creating those community infrastructures? How do we create that? I mean, so you're a tech guy. Um, one of the things, distributed architecture. Okay. New York, it's a monolith. It's monolithic. It's it's a super server. You know, you got all of this stuff sitting in one massive super server, and it's all responsible for all of this stuff. Okay. But if something goes wrong in that super server, the entire thing poof, it's a great example. It's gone. It's a great example. You know. Whereas if we're looking at a more distributed architecture, you know, where we got these little communities in pockets, if one of the communities fail, you know, the rest of us just sort of take up the slack and fill in and the failed community, the resources there just sort of move into one of these others until it's time to go back and reform, you know, the lost node. You know, it's a self-healing open source liberty network, you know, that's run on a confederated, you know, and, well, you know, we, we keep talking about Articles of Confederation versus the De or uh, the Constitution, you know, and which one was better. But that loose-knit, open-source architecture, distributed architecture that allows things to fail without taking out the entire structure. You know, little nodes can fail. The others will pick up the slack and then they'll rebuild the structure and everything goes back to the way it was. But the thing is, is with the federal government, we've created a monolith in D.C. We got a super server sitting in D.C. that's on its last legs. You know, the entire rate array is about to collapse, you know, and it's an older system. So you can't hot swap the drives. Yeah, you, know, you, you just got to watch it fall apart. And we're watching it fall apart right now. New York City, same thing. It's a monolithic structure. The stock market, New York Stock Exchange, it's a monolithic structure. You know, we don't have the ability to go in and hot swap the problem. All we can do is build those sustainable distributed architecture with and start moving the data off of it, start moving the skill sets off of it until we reach a point where we won't get hurt when the super server crashes, because we got the backups. But we got to get off of the monolithic systems. We got to move it out, create the, dis the distributed open source liberty infrastructure. And that comes down to things like, we got our modern day library of Alexandria. Okay, share the knowledge, stop hoarding it. 
you know, it doesn't belong only in the hands of people in D.C. It doesn't belong only in the hands of people on the New York Stock Exchange. This is open source. And we should all have access to that. And, and to a certain degree, we do, because we all got our cell phones, you know, and just need to start using them a little bit smarter, <laughs> you know, for something other than cat and dog memes. Uh, but, you know. Uh, we have access to that information. You know, MIT has their entire course load, you know, available for free. You still got to pay to get the degree from the university, you know, but they'll give you the knowledge for free. Yale, same thing. We got all of these resources to create this open source liberty architecture. So that's where the libertarians come in, is we start building up that community infrastructure. City councils, okay? Now for me, yep, you know, it's build those nodes of liberty and self-sustainability for that open source architecture and boom, you know, we're ready for the collapse. And 90% of America won't even notice it. I was gonna say, that's right there, I think, because so my day job, uh, and we talked beforehand in the greater telecommunications industry, and like that's hosted VoIP, right? You know, that's why hosted VoIP became what it is. Now, for folks outside of the, the IT world, hosted VoIP is essentially taking what was traditionally your older phone systems that were at in the physical location, a, a premise-based phone system, and it took them and it put basically the brains of the phone system into the cloud. And it took those those brains of the cloud and, as we were discussing, replicate it in multiple data centers across geographically dispersed locations with, you know, 14 different types of Internet coming into the, the data centers and such with 14 different servers replicating that that inter information. So all your user information is backed up. So, God forbid, a nuke from Russia got accidentally launched by, you know, Vladimir Putin having a bad day. It hits, you know, Philly at 401 North Broad, which happens to be one of the largest data centers here on the East Coast. And guess what? You're still going to be able to make a phone call because your node is still up and running. So there's a little fun telecom knowledge there, folks. But that's to the point that Joe's making. It's imperative that we start to build that now. So I say that's partly why we've changed. Um, so I was doing a lot of just random candidate episodes, but I wanted to make this a reoccurring theme. And I was candidly inspired by good friend of the show, Spike Cohen. Um, he's doing his culture of winning, talking to uh, candidates who are out there winning uh, their seats right now. And I said, well, let's go ahead and focus on bringing those voices is up there so we can get more folks to go on Spike show because they've actually won their candidacy. So let's do this joke. We want to get people over your way so you can make sure you're on a, on uh, his amazing new show, culture of winning and spike. spike. You're welcome. I'm giving you a free ad by the way. Um, so Joe, where can folks go ahead and uh, support your, uh, your future campaign? Cause I know, I know tease, tease, maybe 2022, right, but right. in general, uh, stay up to date with well, what's happening. The thing is my Twitter account's probably the most active thing I got going right now. Um, you know, and that's, ID Joe for Congress, you know, uh, the Twitter handle, my Facebook page. I'm still focusing mainly on my personal Facebook as far as getting communications and stuff out and issues. Um, but for me, one of the things that's big is kind Idaho. And that's our medical marijuana initiative. Reason why is because there's the third party candidates that have been most successful in the United States were part of the medical marijuana activism in Indiana or in Indiana, you know, they pulled 10% as a third party. 
strictly on the platform of legalizing marijuana in the state. You know, the highest percentage of congressional and senatorial ca- candidates, you know, from, and it's like, it's about legalizing weed. Well, the libertarians got more issues, you know, than just legalizing weed. But as long as we maintain those out front, you know, uh, and that's where I'm at right now with legalizing medical marijuana in the state of Idaho, being active with that kind Idaho, that's where my time and interest is going for at least the next three to six months. That's uh, about the time when start taking a look at my Twitter handle and pay attention to what's going on. Cause that's probably about the time I'm going to make an announcement if I'm going to do it. Cool stuff. Well, in the meantime, we'll make sure we point folks over to your website, idahojoeforcongress.org. I will include the link to that in the show notes. Joe Evans. Thanks for joining the Brian Nichols show on our brand new Sunday candidate special. Thank you, Brian. You have a great day. Our goal at the Chris Spangle show is to help you sound smarter while talking with your friends. If you struggle to understand politics, we explain it from an independent libertarian perspective with all of the irreverence modern politics deserves. We toss out the screaming heads and put people before political parties and give context to the news to make you think. I'm the host. I'm a 15-year veteran of politics and media, and this show is published every Saturday. It's part of the We Are Libertarians network, and be sure to join Wall Plus for bonus podcasts, the complete archives, commercial-free shows, and more. Subscribe now at WeAreLibertarians.com. Before we wrap up, I want to tell you about an amazing new podcast. You longtime listeners of The Brian Nichols Show know him well, and that is one Brad Palumbo and his stellar new program, Breaking Boundaries. Join Brad as he interviews top writers, politicians, and thinkers from all across the political spectrum to give you a new perspective you won't find in the mainstream liberal media or right-wing echo chambers. From guests like Rand Paul to Glenn Greenwald, Brad is having conversations and focusing on issues that are driving America with the people who are in the driver's seats. So, head over to your favorite podcast app, hit subscribe, strap in, and be prepared for some wild food takes like Rand Paul and his grand mayonnaise conspiracy. Again, that's Breaking Boundaries with Brad Palumbo available in your favorite podcasting app today. Alrighty, folks, that's going to wrap up my conversation with Joe Evans. He is running for Congress out in Idaho, and I will make sure I include the links to all of his social mod- uh, social media as well as uh, the link to his website, idahojoeforcongress.com. Org. And if you enjoyed today's episode, I'm going to ask you to do me a solid. Make sure you go ahead and share today's episode. Uh, and please do me a favor when you, you're there. I, I'm having all sorts of uh, fun verbal uh, flubs today. While you're there, tag me at B Nichols Liberty, Twitter, Facebook, Minds.com and Parlor.com. Folks, thank you so much for joining us on your Easter. And I, I really appreciate you guys taking some time out of your schedule to join us uh, every single week. And, and also, I would appreciate... You know, if you you would do me a favor, because obviously you're getting something of value here. You're listening to a podcast on Easter. Um, I would appreciate you if you just head over to Apple Podcasts and give us a quick five star rating and review. Tell folks why you listen to the program and and what value you're getting out of it. Do you do you hear folks like Joe uh, bringing some value to the table? I think you do, and, and I see it in the download numbers. So I want to thank you um, again for for all those who've already gone out of their way to do a quick five star rating and review. Um, and those who are, are yet to, uh, I'm looking forward to hearing from you soon. But also, if you want to just go ahead and get in touch with me, email me, brian at briannicholsshow.com. Coming up here on Monday, Scott Beyer from the Market Urbanism Report returns to the program. We're talking about how can we make cities 
work, function, especially when their municipal finance systems are completely crippled. You look at the crazy pensions they have. Plus, uh, how about COVID-19? That may have thrown a couple wrenches into the system. Uh, Scott is fantastic in helping break down how a market, a market, a market urbanism approach. We're going to get through this, folks. A market urbanism approach is the best solution going forward. So you have that episode looking forward to on Monday. Two more, at least, fantastic episodes coming up on Wednesday and on Friday. And with that being said, thank you, folks, for joining us here on Sunday's episode. That being said, Brian Nichols signing up on The Brian Nichols Show for Joe Evans. We'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to The Brian Nichols Show. Find more episodes at briannicholsshow.com. Audio production for The Brian Nichols Show is brought to you by DB Podcast Audio. Learn more by emailing inquiries to william at dbpodaudio.com.